to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. And part of those boundaries were, I'm going to be a mom. And I want to be an involved mom. And when it comes to spending time with the kids, that's important too. It doesn't mean that it's ever trumping something. It means that we're all working together to make sure that we are all balanced in that regard. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. That clip was from Neha Patel, a partner with Weaver in their Dallas office. Neha is a wonderful guest for our show for several reasons, actually. First of all, she's had a very successful career, mostly in public accounting, although she did try private industry for a while and found that it just wasn't quite the right fit for her at the time. In fact, if you are working in public accounting and have ever thought about making that transition yourself, You really should listen to her story because she gives us some good details on her own experience and how she figured out what was right for her. Secondly, although you could say that she's, quote, had a traditional career path in some respects, if you're looking at it from the outside, you're going to hear in the interview about how much of her career has been in the IT advisory space. So it's not quite as traditional as you might think. Plus, Neha is the mother of twins and a partner at a large regional firm, so I think you'll find our conversation about balancing life's priorities very interesting as well. We discussed the women's initiative there at Weaver, which is called the Inspire Program, quite a bit near the end of the interview, and that's a very valuable part of the discussion and frankly something that I really appreciated getting some insight on. This episode really does cover several bases for us, and I hope it does for you as well. If you find that this episode has been valuable to you, please make sure to subscribe to our show via iTunes or directly on the website at whereaccountantsgo.com. Once again, that's www.whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Neha Patel with Weaver in Dallas. Well, hello, Neha. Thank you so much for making the time for the audience today. I hear it's a busy time in public accounting this time of year, so thank you very much. Absolutely. I'm so happy to join you. Wonderful. Well, for the audience, Neha Patel is with Weaver in their Dallas office. And Weaver, for those that may not know that are listening, is a large regional firm in this area and and honestly has been growing quite a bit over the last few years. Regarding Neha herself, though, she was referred to me by one of our former guests, Sarah Elliott, who was a real pleasure to interview, I must say. She said, I really should consider asking Neha to be on the show, not just because of her career success, but also because of her leadership with the Women's Initiative there at Weaver. So, Neha, I definitely want to get into your current position and the Inspire program there, of course, at Weaver. But first, I always like to start at the beginning so people get an idea, really, of where you came from and how you got there. What initially caused you to even think about accounting as a possible career in the first place? 
Well, it's funny that you start with that question, actually. I'm from Corpus Christi, which is in South Texas. And, you know, back in my high school years, I was totally set up to go (laughs) pre-med. And so it wasn't until I was in high school that I noticed that I liked chemistry and anatomy, but I really kind of hated biology. And I had to break it to my dad. You know, dad, I don't think I could be a doctor if I don't really like biology. (laughs) And so at some point during those years, I realized that I really kind of had a knack for, you know, just connecting with people. And I really enjoyed the business side of things. And so I decided to major in business. And to be honest, I wasn't really actually looking at accounting to begin with. I was just general business student. And it wasn't until I took accounting 311 at the University of Texas in Austin, which is where I went to school. And when I'm in that class, I started to notice that I had a knack for it. Just the rules, the balance, all of it kind of came very naturally to me. And so I did really well within the the first kind of couple of accounting classes. Back in the day when I was a student, the University of Texas actually had the number one accounting program in the nation. And they had an integrated program where you do five years right away and you graduate with your master's and you're ready to sit for the CPA exam in the state of Texas. And so they were promoting that program during the classroom throughout the business school. And it was a family friend of mine who happened to be sitting next to me during one of those promotional sessions where they're describing the program and the benefits, really what you can do when you come out of it. And she knew I was doing pretty well in the accounting classes anyway. And she kind of nudged me and said, you should look into that. And I literally majored in it. Like it was a total win because a friend told me to do it. And so (laughs) when it comes to looking back at my history in the profession to know that a friend told me so, (laughs) it's kind of, quite anticlimactic when it comes to that, but it just happened to cater to what I I appreciate about accounting, the structure, but giving me quite a bit of variety in what you can do with that background. And so I think that that became really my starting point into understanding what you can do in the accounting profession. Interesting. I'm just curious, is that a friend that you stayed in touch with over time or was it I'm yes. curious. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, wow. That's so a good friend. Back in my back in my corpus days, I grew up with a couple of of girls that we were very tight knit, and I mean, from almost birth, we essentially grew up together. We went through grade school together. We celebrated birthdays together, and many of us actually went across the nation. But this particular friend and I ended up going to UT together, and she was a major in MIS, so she wasn't an accounting major, but. No, absolutely. That's that's one of those lifelong friends that knows you to your bones. And there was something about that day where she's like, that's it. That's your major right there. (laughs) And so I was very lucky to have the person say it in a manner in which I was even listening and actually went for it. So, yeah, I totally definitely trusted her judgment with regards to that call. (laughs) That is neat. That's a good friend. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. You know, actually, it's funny. When we started the podcast, I had a string of individuals that were engineering majors initially mm-hmm. and switched to accounting. And as of the time we're recording this, you wouldn't know this because we're sort of getting ahead in the recordings. But you're at least the third, if not the fourth individual to say they were pre-med or almost pre-med and switched to accounting. Yep. So we're sort of on a roll in that area by some <laughs> odd circumstance. <laughs> 
Well, I think to be honest with you, when I, when I think about when you're a child and you're thinking about what you want to be when you grow up. And I mean, it could be as obvious as like, you know, the typical responses of, I want to be a policeman because that's what they see. You don't really see accountants as a, a profession. You see the doctors and the dentists and you see maybe even the lawyers, police and firemen see these, these different ranging uh, professions. But I look back at my own childhood and go, do I remember CPA being something that people touted? And I just don't remember it. But I also think it's such a world of a difference because in my profession, because it's client service driven, it's awesome. Like people are envious of my ability to travel or talk to different industries. And again, I'm an accounting major. And yet what we do is make fun of my pharmacy major friend for pill counting, not necessarily me, the accountant, for bean counting because I'm traveling all over the place. And it sounds so much more different than what you would envision when you were a child. That's so true. Yes, as kids, the closest we come is being exposed to business people in general. Right. Not, yes. Yeah, that's very interesting. That's a, that's a good point. Hmm, interesting. You mentioned your friend had a background in MIS, and I noticed that you had a minor or, or double major or something with your master's degree. That's in, exactly in right. Okay. A lot of your background's been in IT audit as well. Did you intentionally get into that field or I guess how did your career get started? Well, and again, I've been very fortunate with good timing, I guess. And so back when I was in school, the hot major, especially in Austin with a huge tech bubble back in the late 90s and the early 2000s, was flocking to the management information systems major, which is the MIS major. What was great about that was it was technology, but from a business standpoint, not necessarily from a coding and development standpoint like you would see in engineering or in computer science. And so a lot of my friends ended up majoring in MIS, which again was a hot topic. For me, I thought it might be valuable to have at least a minor in MIS, given how important it seemed to be in the marketplace. What was really, again, a factor of the timing of my college years is that what was interesting in the accounting profession is I was the last class recruited at UT by the big five at the time. And that's because Arthur Anderson and Enron were major players when I was in college. It was during my internship that those two players happened to collapse. So what was fascinating about my timing is that I was a rare breed of accounting major with a technology background coming into the marketplace just as Sarbanes-Oxley, the Act of 2002, was being formulated and then soon, a year or two later, implemented. And so part of what SOX brought into the market was visibility of controls in technology in the systems that support the accounting processes. And so by happenstance, I happened to be one of those few individuals that had that combination in my skill set. I wasn't entirely sure about doing traditional audit, which is what my major was in, or to do IT audit because I was kind of being built for that as well. Did a dual internship in both and kind of on a whim decided, well, if my major's in audit anyway, let me go ahead and start with audit. And it wasn't until I did professional audit, true core accounting, 
that I realized, no, I really wanted to use the blend. I wanted to still be able to leverage that MIS major, which is why I kind of flocked over to the technology audit team. Interesting. Okay. Where was that first, that first job out of college? So I started at Ernst & Young out of the okay. Houston practice. And so there they had an established technology team. And fortunately, I had partially interned with them. So when it came to making the switch, it was just a matter of having a conversation to say, hey, I don't know that I really like this as much as I thought. Would you, would you have room for me to come to you? And they're like, absolutely. And what was fascinating, again, when we talk about the accounting profession is this idea of an accountant is an accountant, not necessarily. That was one of the, the first lessons that I was able to learn. And that was a year out of college which was, oh, wow, I can use this for more than one thing. Interesting. Yeah, that was convenient. Were you with the Houston office the entire time? Because I know you're in Dallas now. That's why I'm curious. Yeah, I was in Houston for about four years and then made the transition up to the DFW area, specifically their Dallas office, as I was having life transition when it came to getting engaged and married. And so... It was the year that I was getting married that I made the move up here to the North Texas region. And my husband happened to already be up here, which is we needed to be in the same place for a change. So (laughs) I made the move north because, again, it was easier for me to transition because given my skill set, given my degree, given the firm I was with at the time, it was easier for that transfer than for him to find a new job. Okay. Yeah, I hear that's good for relationships when you're in the same city. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It helps. It does help. (laughs) So at what point did you transition out of EY and and what was your next step from there? Well, to be honest with you, I think, again, just like when I was entering business school, not really sure what I was going for. When I entered the workplace, I think my intention was, let me do a little bit of public accounting and I'll go into industry someday. I didn't realize how much I'd enjoy it. Mm. I didn't realize how much I'd really kind of grown into the role. And so as I got married and as I moved regions, a part of me was like, well, I've been doing this for quite some time. Maybe I should give industry a try. Maybe this is the time to do it because I'm already transitioning in other ways. And so I eventually made the decision to go try something new. And I thought, you know what? They say the grass is greener in industry. Let me go give it a go. And it was not for me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was a very quick revelation that, nope, that's not right. I am built to do public accounting. And whether it was because it was my early stint in it or whether it's because I truly enjoy it now, it was very clear that I really saw value in the drive and the pace and the ambition and the opportunity in public accounting. And so I didn't last in industry, to be honest with you. More than 11 months. I think I I left at 11 months. I tried to make it a year just because I was nervous what it looked like on my resume to have such a short stint in industry. But it was a very important move for my happiness and for my own mental sanity for me to go back to something that I enjoyed, but also something that I was good at. And I didn't really realize how important that part was. So you you really prefer the pace of public I do. And I tend to be a pretty energetic individual anyway. I've always had a lot of 
high energy. I mean, don't get me wrong. When it's the end of the day, I'm definitely doing other things. But during the day, it keeps me motivated. If I've got multiple things going on, a little bit more of that, that Russian fire, not chaos. I don't want to go all the way to chaos phase, <laughs> but I do like the engagement that we have with the multiple industries and things like that. And I didn't feel that anymore when I was in one place every day with the same environment. I think I, I learned to appreciate the things that I had left behind. And so it was very easy for me to get back into it. And that's really when I was reintroduced to Weaver, which is my firm. And so Weaver is a North Texas-based firm. We're based out of Fort Worth, and Dallas was their largest office. So they just happened to be in the right place at the right time and looking for the right person. And it just worked beautifully with the timing where I was looking back to getting to public accounting. And that was over nine years ago. Wonderful. Did you come mm-hmm. in in a traditional audit role or did you come in in that IT audit? After that first year at ENY when I was in the traditional audit, when I switched over to IT audit, it was IT audit for life, I think. And so <laughs> even in my industry stint, I was their IT auditor at that industry location. And so when I came to Weaver, I did come on board as a manager in IT. And there was, given it's a regional firm, we do have to wear a few more hats, especially back in 2009. So I did get to use some of my traditional accounting techniques when it came to applying them to oil and gas processes and things like that. But really, over the last five to seven years, it has my role has been more focused on the technology audit side entirely. Okay. Did you start as a manager back with them, or I guess how did you initially come into the firm? Yes. When I started back at Weaver, um, I did come in as a manager. And so I had been for quite some time one of their last manager, direct manager hires, because our firm's philosophy is really we want to grow people. And so we'd rather not necessarily hire in at an experience level. We want to grow people into those experience levels. And so I was an odd case where they had a vacancy and they needed to fill it. So I I entered in as a manager and have slowly moved through the ranks over the last um, almost decade now. Okay. And I didn't say that quite the way I wanted to, but the the reason I was asking is I know you're a partner now, and I am sort of curious how that that growth or threat transition happened and and what you feel helped you, you know, to, to get to, the partner level, you know, what advice you would have. What what can you tell us about, you know, the last almost decade and that transition in your own career? Well, I think there's probably there's two words that mean something different now than when I was coming fresh out of school. The two words are opportunity and culture. So taking you back to when I was a student, we were highly sought after because we were the number one program. So we had all of the big accounting firms coming to school, coming to campus, whining and dining, trying to get our attention. And at the time, really because I was just naive and inexperienced, they all sounded the same. They all said similar things. There was this word partner thrown around a lot. And really, I ended up, and all of them offered opportunity. Absolutely. I didn't really understand what opportunity meant at the time. And really, I ended up picking who I liked, my top three firms based on what gifts they were giving. (laughs) So, okay, this firm gave an umbrella. That's really cool. Well, this firm, you know, they took me to a manicure. Awesome. It was really (laughs) terrible decision-making, let me just tell you. 
And so it was fortunate that on a whim, the reason that I chose EY, besides it being in the right location, which was Houston, was I met someone there. And I made the decision to go there because there was some sort of spark, something familiar, but something comfortable about that individual, which is why I said, you know what? I can't really go wrong with this decision. Let me go EY because I really liked that person that I met there. And I didn't realize that I was making a decision based on culture. I didn't know that that's what I was doing. And inherently, that's what I ended up doing. And during my stint in my early years at EY, I mean, I really enjoyed the team I worked with. And it made the work feel less like work. And what was wonderful about it is it felt like you were hanging out with your friends. And if there was an obstacle or a challenge, you had the right culture to support you. And that's really what I felt with Weaver when I joined them, when I moved up to North Texas and, and merged Ben with Weaver. It was all culture. I was looking for that same feeling, which is I want to feel comfortable. I want to feel not only respected, but supported. And culture mattered. I needed a fun, vibrant energy. And not only that, but I needed to see a path for success because as coming in as a manager at Weaver, I wanted to make sure that, that the ambition that I knew that I had now could be fulfilled. I didn't have to wait for someone to be let go or move on for me to move through the ranks. I just had to prove myself and that's on me. And I love that aspect about opportunity. So suddenly the, the meaning opportunity and culture meant something different. Now, while I've been at Weaver, really the driving force there was when I see opportunities, I haven't really tried to resist them. Now, I'll be honest, I'm definitely a creature of habit. I like what I'm comfortable in. But there was a moment where we knew that we had some financial institution work, some banking work, that we needed somebody to take the reins on. Well, that wasn't my area of expertise. I was an oil and gas person. But you know what? That fear was overcome by the supportive culture that I felt. And I could learn my way through that. And over the years, I've grown to become the subject matter expert when it comes to the technology used by our financial clients. But that came with the opportunity. It grew. And while I was able to embrace it, I also had the support system that helped to nudge me along as well. And I think it comes back to culture and opportunity. And each step of the way, I was fortunate because I had the right mentors showcasing that to me. So instead of them telling me, well, you're just going to do it, they would say, well, let's look at the silver lining here. What can you do with it? And because of the mentorship, I found advocates that kind of helped me navigate all of those challenges. And those challenges, again, turned into opportunities and gave me a path to get to partner. Mm. Now, I know this is circling back a little bit, but you really got me thinking about the, the culture statement and, and how you knew somebody at, at the former firm and, and making that decision. I think particularly you know, students and when you're trying to get those internships and, and that first job, we tend to think of networking as a way to make contacts, but we look at more networking as a way to judge the culture you know, of, of where mm-hmm. you may be going to work. And students have options these days. You know, many of them yeah. get multiple offers. And that's a really good point to look at it, not just from the standpoint of the size of the firm and what the offer is, but also, you know, who you met there and who do you like best. 
side. There's a side of our society and especially the, the new gen that's coming through the marketplace and the workplace right now where work life matters. You're seeing it even with real estate development. When you look out in Austin or San Antonio or Dallas, you'll see more buildings being built where their work lives play. So they're enabling an individual to be able to balance all elements of their lives in a certain area. And so similarly, how much better could it be if work and life were not so segregated and that work and life were more integrated? And part of that is enjoying where you are during the business hours and making it feel like an environment that's welcoming and warm and comfortable, just like you would expect when you go home. And it's a different kind of warm, welcoming, and comfortable. And so I think that that's something that our Weaver Culture Committee has done very well at. They've honed in on the fact that we need to have a culture that's not just focused on the client service, but on our professionals and our people. Because the client service, we have happier people. We're going to have happy clients because those work together. And it's interesting because what some collegiate students notice is the value based on the monetary value. Well, if you're never able to enjoy the monetary value, or if your waking hours are pretty miserable, what does that cost to you? And so I think that there's difference when, again, when I reflect back and think of opportunity, what is the opportunity that I'm going for here? What is that vision that I see? And sometimes it needs to evolve. What I envisioned when I was in my earlier years versus now as a mother is a very different balance that I'm looking for. And the fact that I was able to successfully navigate that, again, comes back to the culture and the support system that I felt specifically within my firm. You know, actually, you're making this transition easy for me because I did want to ask, when we were scheduling this, you mentioned to me that you have twins. I do. Okay. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What is it about the culture there at Weaver that's helped you get the balance you need? Or what have you done, you know, in order to be able to balance those responsibilities? Well, I think the first step, and fortunately for me, I had my, my kiddos when I was a senior manager. So it wasn't quite in my early career stage. It was more where I was already kind of well established in the sense that I knew the business and I knew a little bit better how to balance my work life. A key element that I think I look back at was I understood my boundaries. And what I mean by that isn't where I dictate what I will and won't do. That's not necessarily what I mean. What I mean by boundaries are I understand when I'm at my best and I understand that when I'm stressed, how to reestablish diffuse and get me back on track. I understood my boundaries. And one of the things that was really great in navigating the entry to motherhood was I had a great partner and he's now my partner. And I mean, professional partner. I do have an awesome husband too. (laughs) Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) Wait, let me clear this up. I have two very great partners. Well, husband aside, who's awesome at work, the partner in charge of my department was a huge person when it came to an important person helping me navigate what I needed from that transition. And the reason that it was a very smooth transition, considering I was pregnant with twins for the first time ever, 
was that she was able to have the conversation with me. We didn't shy away from topics. She was very upfront. Hey, have you talked about what you want to do when you, if you want to come back or when you want to come back? And it was such an open conversation. And it was a very humbling conversation because I recognized very early on that I didn't have to be fearful about what I was coming back to. He was enabling me to explain where I felt I needed to be or how my boundaries needed to be addressed. And he was open to the conversation. And that is such an important part of feeling supported. And so with him, I have two other individuals, two other colleagues of mine who are also a major support system. They took on some of my out-of-town work when I couldn't travel. They enabled me to transition back my work when I came back to work. It was a wonderful, deliberate conversation. And I think that was holistically why it was easy for me to have a stress-free as best as possible pregnancy and then have a transition plan to get back into the workforce. And what was really telling was that a year and a half after that, I was able to make partner. And it didn't hinder or halt my progression at all. And it was a wonderful ability for me to integrate what I value in my life along with what I value in my career. And it was because it was very clear what my intentions were, what my commitment was, but more importantly, where my boundaries were. And part of those boundaries were, I'm going to be a mom and I want to be an involved mom. And when it comes to spending time with the kids, that's important too. It doesn't mean that it's ever trumping something. It means that we're all working together to make sure that we are all balanced in that regard. Speaking of, to just give kudos to my husband, a huge element of my ability to succeed in my professional life is also the support system at home. And so my husband was absolutely a huge advocate in saying, you can do this and we can make this work. And I think that, again, having the support system at work and having the support system at home was absolutely exactly what was going to enable me to, to fulfill what I was envisioning for the future state. How old are the kids now? So they are four. They turned four back in October. So we're approaching four and a half. I'm not entirely sure when we stopped saying half. So <laughs> I think we're almost at four and a half. I have a son and a daughter and they're, they're full of energy and they are very humbling even on the worst day. They will do or say something that make you make you just completely recharge in life. Let me tell you, <laughs> that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I, I could tell from the conversation that they were still relatively young, so I, I was curious. They Beautiful. are, and um, what I love about being a parent is that I can also serve, hopefully, as a role model to them someday. And when it comes to the dynamics of what they see, my husband and I trying to balance here in the home life, as well as see me go do what I do as a professional. I mean, I think I'm very excited to be able to serve in what these children might be able to do someday and feel that they will be empowered someday to be able to emulate that, hopefully, too. Well, as long as we're on this line of thought, I did want to get into the women's initiative there at Weaver. What are you guys doing exactly? Well, I was asked to be the chair of our Inspire Initiative program, which is our women's initiative. And so I was very, very excited about 
that nomination to become the chair of this, this program. So back in the probably about 15 to 20 years ago in the early, early 2000s, our firm, like many others in the industry, started to notice a trend when it came to female professionals in public accounting. We started to notice that right around the manager rank, really about five to six years into their career, we start seeing the numbers drop when it comes to gender ratios. Now, coming into the field, we're seeing 50-50, if not even leaning towards more women professionals coming out with an accounting degree. And we're recruiting at that rate as well. So what was the mystery with regards to the manager rank? And so back then, our firm leadership decided that we needed to do something about it. And we needed to focus on how to retain that talent that we seem to be losing at a certain rank. And again, this plagued the industry, not just our firm. And so what I think was very cool was our firm decided to name our first female partner, Jeannie Smith, as basically the champion of what we would call INSPIRE, our women's initiative program. And the focus at the time was to try to tackle what it was that were was keeping women from feeling like they couldn't move forward. Was it progression? Was it they didn't see visibility enough? Were they not having the right training elements? Was it that we needed to try to do to develop that support system? And so for about a decade, Jeannie, along with other partners, both men and women throughout the firm, really supported that mission. And as I said, two years ago in 2016, as we turned over our leadership and our new CEO and managing partner took charge, he asked me to take it over. And I was very intimidated, (laughs) but also... (laughs) A little excited. It was, it was an awesome opportunity to keep that, that torch running. And now what was different about it, and this was very important to me, was I really wanted Inspire to be relevant. Some of the topics that we had originally started with back in 2004, 2006 were not quite as relevant now. Technology has changed. Society has changed. The way we work has changed. And so what was really awesome about being asked to chair this initiative was it gave me a canvas to basically recreate its mission. And we are focused on seeing more visibility of women succeeding through the ranks from manager all the way to the partnership. We are seeing the numbers change. In the last three years, 50% of our partners made have been women. And so to see the change actually happening, to talk about things that matter. What I really wanted with Inspire was to change the conversation. And I say that because when I look back at my own trajectory and I think back to what I was able to succeed through when it came to the transition of just a working professional to a working mom, we had a conversation. It was a deliberate, thoughtful gesture and how important and impactful that was for me to get to my successful route. And so I wanted to bring a little bit of that back to what we were trying to relay with the Inspire mission. And it's been so much fun to do. It is one of the coolest things I get to do. And again, I'm an accounting major. (laughs) And instead, now I get to do interviews and marketing and making videos. And it is such a creative gesture, but it's so relevant to what we're doing as professionals. Hmm. This occurred to me just so the, the audience gets a better idea of Weaver, because I'm familiar with Weaver, but just give us a little overview of 
I guess, how large the firm is, offices, employees. Can you give us some general insight into that? Absolutely. So Weaver is a full-service public accounting firm. And so we do everything you would expect. We do tax solutions and services, as well as assurance. Under our insurance umbrella, we have audit, which is the traditional audit you would think of, as well as advisory services. Advisory services could be focused on specific niche focus areas. For example, technology, which what is what I represent in our IT advisory services group. It could be risk advisory. It could be transaction advisory. Those are more subject-based, and those can have multiple hats in how we serve as an advisor to an organization. Weaver, as a firm, we started in 1950 in Fort Worth, and we slowly have grown to a size of 600 people across mm. the U.S. We used to be the Texas firm, and now we've branched out into offices in both L.A. and New York. So we're actually larger than just Texas, although our heart is, of course, rooted here because most of our offices are located in the state. And so we've got offices in Dallas and Fort Worth, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, and Midland. And so we've got a great footprint here in our state as well as growing reaches across the the two coasts now. And you're leading the Inspire program for the whole firm. For the whole firm, yes. And so as the chair for the firm, um, I basically send out um, messages firm-wide. And typically, the communications that we're focused on are topics to empower people. Really, I want people to start to think and talk. And that's essentially what I'm trying to drive at with any of my communications that go firm-wide. But I don't do it alone. I have a committee myself, and it's my Inspire board. And within my board, I've got leaders in each of our regions that basically continue to carry down that message into their regional areas. And so it it definitely is a collaborative effort. Not only that, one of the cool things at Weaver is that we have a uh, a separate committee focused on our culture. We call it our culture committee. And that culture committee has also driving forces with regards to anything that relates to our personal engagement and our personnel engagement. And so when it comes to policies for HR, mentorship programs, career progression, any sort of topics that help our culture, the culture committee kind of focuses on. And Inspire is a a member of that committee as well. Okay. Okay. I was thinking back to what you were saying about the partner that you worked under at the time you were becoming a mother. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the frank and open conversations about the future, you know, and the elephant in the room, so to speak. And it sounds like what you're doing is you're you're helping continue that environment and, and maybe even further create that environment for other individuals in the firm. You're absolutely right. And go figure. The chair of the culture committee is Brian Thomas, who is the partner that I had that conversation with long ago. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Of course. And so that's really, I mean, I think it's really empowering to have the firm leadership, our CEO to our COOs, all recognize the value of what we're trying to build. It's been a really, a very exciting and fun effort, firm-wide as well as just industry-wide. I mean, this is definitely an important topic. And for all of the new talent coming through the ranks, I mean, they need to also recognize the value of that. And it goes back to culture and opportunity. And I think that that's really what's an exciting place to be when you're a young professional. Yes. 
Well, I want to be respectful of your time, and there's one more question I wanted to ask you before we get into the the final questions I end every podcast with. You know, you're a very driven individual, so I'm curious if you could go back in time and, and give your younger self just one piece of advice, what might that be? You know what? I think I definitely was lucky to recognize or stumble upon culture and opportunity accidentally. But really, it's about people. If you could build a good team around you or a good team to work with you, everything else gets in line. Every other challenge seems doable because you've surrounded yourself with the right people. And that's never one type of person. It's a variety and diversity of backgrounds and individuals. And I think that that is one of the most important things that I would have advised myself to recognize early on and to continue forward with. And not just from a mentorship standpoint, but then to also pay back by being a mentor. And so I think that that's also very important that somehow, someday, if I haven't already to serve as a mentor to others as well, whether it's formal or informal, I think that that's another critical element that will be very important. I appreciate your discussion on the culture and opportunity. Some good points. Well, I do end every podcast with the same three questions because I I think it gives us some good consistency. And I I like hearing the the different answers from the, the different guests. First of all, it's usually the easiest question. What has been your proudest moment? Oh, motherhood. (laughs) So easy. (laughs) Becoming a mom is one of the scariest, most rewarding things I will ever do. And it is, it is the most special gift that I get to be. And to be a twin mom at that, which is a whole different category, I think, some days, it is definitely the best part of what I get to do. Definitely. Well, second question, tell us about a mistake you've made and, and what you learned from it, of course, because that, that's where the value is. But frankly, the bigger, the better. We love it when our <laughs> guests share the big mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say that as I was transitioning out of Ernst & Young, I had confided in someone who was an advocate for me and had said, you know what, I think I'm going to leave and I think I'm going to go to industry. And I didn't realize, hindsight told me otherwise, but I didn't realize that I wasn't listening to the conversation that I was having with that particular advocate. He knew that where I was going, I would not have enjoyed it. He knew it. He knew it based on who I was, my ambitions, and just what I did as a professional. He knew that it wasn't going to work. And I wasn't listening carefully. And so, as you know, I went to that industry position and within weeks recognized that that wasn't the right place and tried to hang in there for 11 months (laughs) before (laughs) finding a new home in a different place. What my mistake was there is that there was a little bit of ego that really shouldn't have been there. He wasn't trying to to keep me, he was trying to save me. And it wasn't until it was far enough along that I realized that's why he was having the conversation he was having with me. And I think that that was a key, a key mistake in the sense that I had 
clearly a detour before I came back to public accounting, but it was the perfect avenue for me to land and recognize that public accounting wasn't, wasn't what needed to change. And so I think that that's something I do think about how important it is to have trusted people around you and to trust what they're telling you and obviously make your own decisions, but ultimately also listen to the guidance that's coming down your way. So that I do think about that from time to time when I have to explain my short detour. Frequently we hear what we want to hear. (laughs) Yeah. And I I really think that that's what happened to me at the time. I think I had kind of closed my ears. I was telling him something, but not necessarily receiving what he was trying to tell me at that point. And so it all worked out and I'm very satisfied. But at the same time, I do think about that as, oh, I totally wasn't paying attention. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing that because that's an important lesson for all of us to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, final question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? So the advice that I would have given myself, which is to basically recognize to surround yourself with good talent, that's that's also something that has been said to me by Brian Thomas. I will give him full credit, which is surround yourself with great people. That is just such an important factor. And it's not just a, a professional advice. It's a personal advice, too. And I think surrounding yourself with great people allows you to enjoy all the things life has to offer as well. So I think that's a really good, solid piece of advice. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's that's key to a lot of things in life. (laughs) Yeah. Beautiful. Well, Neha, thank you again for sharing your time with us. I know it's a busy time, so I really do appreciate you taking the time to share with us. You're very welcome. Well, for our audience, this has been another episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. If you haven't yet visited the website, please do so. You can find us online at whereaccountantsgo.com. And, of course, we have the show notes for this episode as well as our 70-plus other episodes at this point. Once again, that's www.whereaccountantsgo.com. And on that note, Neha, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with? No, I just hope everyone continues to consider all the potential that an accounting major can get. Don't sell yourself short. That degree is quite an important one. Yes, it is. That's very well said. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see you next week. There's more to come.